This episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. Milk and Honey began as a luxury day spa in Austin, Texas, and has since grown to include eight locations across Texas and Los Angeles, California, as well as a line of bath, body, and skincare born from the spa. Milk and Honey sources and uses the safest possible ingredients in both their spa treatments and product lines, which means both choosing organic and making thoughtful, informed choices on safe ingredients. I recently went to their Brentwood location to treat myself to a spa day. In addition to having a wonderful and deeply therapeutic massage, I really appreciated how peaceful and relaxing the spa environment is. The lounge that is available for guests pre and post treatments felt like a little sanctuary and retreat away from the outside hustle and bustle of LA. We are so excited to now be able to offer our listeners a discount at all milk and honey spas, including both LA locations in Culver city and Brentwood. We are even more excited to partner with them to offer a spa package called the courageous wellness retreat, a 60 minute milk and honey signature massage, which is a Swedish massage tailored to your needs focusing on relaxation and stress relief combined with body brushing an exfoliating and detoxifying treatment that uses a natural bristle brush that you get to take home to stimulate your lymph and circulation while also reviving dull skin. And for all our listeners in any location, their online boutique offers products from the milk and honey line and from other top brands, including Osea Malibu, super goop, Virtue, Moon Juice, Kula Sun Care, and more. Courageous Wellness listeners can enjoy 20% off your next order at milkandhoney.com and 20% off your first spa service at any Milk and Honey location with code CW Podcast. Visit milkandhoneyspa.com to find a location near you. And if you want to try the Courageous Wellness Spa package at a special discounted rate, use the code Courageous Wellness Retreat to redeem. This is not able to be combined with any other discount or promotion. And you can find all this information in our show notes. Welcome to Courageous Wellness. My name is Erica Stein. And I'm Allie French, and this is a podcast about individual journeys within wellness and how to navigate it all. After Allie experienced a cancer diagnosis in her 20s, and Erica went through a self-love journey, we created a platform to interview real people from all walks of life that have combined all types of practices. From physical wellness to emotional and spiritual, we hear courageous stories and focus on why it's important to share them. We are both certified integrative nutrition health coaches and together with our community are learning to live our most purposeful lives by sharing one courageous story at a time. It takes courage to share these journeys and by talking about them, we aim to destigmatize the process. We want you to be your own health advocate, feel educated and informed on the latest in health and wellness and empower you to feel your absolute best. And because we want to bring forth a wide variety of stories, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect our own, but we hope the diverse and varied stories will empower you to make the best choices for your own life. So join us as we and our community share our courageous wellness. Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. On the podcast today, we have Christine Yu, who's an award-winning journalist and author. Um, and we're going to have a wonderful conversation with her. But before we get into that, we're going to do our weekly updates. Um, I will start with mine. I was actually recently uh, on vacation on the big island of Hawaii, which was awesome. And I, I thought about this conversation that we actually had with Christine because I saw a lot of people out in the morning early because it gets so hot there, um, running. And I noticed, so I just <laughs> like, you know, uh, revealing a lot, but I'm a, I'm a well endowed chested woman. And the reason I say that is because I noticed a lot of women out running with like really unsupportive sports bras. And I realized for myself like I just thought, ow, first of all. And th then second of all, I realized, oh, I think part of the reason that I have never felt like I liked running was because it was always 
uncomfortable for me from the time that I was like in junior high school. So I realized that like that sort of story or barrier in my own mind to myself as like someone who runs um, might be actually correlated to that. And then I thought about this conversation and I'm not going to like give it away, but one of the things we do discuss with Christine, who um, wrote this amazing book called Up to Speed, which really uh, tackles just myths and, um, you know, even the idea of like studies around, um, exercise and fitness are often done on male bodies. And so, um, really about women athletes and athleticism and fitness and, um, even bias in that field. So one of the things we talk about is, uh, is bras, is sports bras. And it's so funny because I just like it, it's, it's kind of a little thing, but it really gave me a personal realization as to like why it might've been a barrier for me in my life, um, on why I even wanted to ever attempt to run. Yeah. Yeah. And it also brought that up because I know you've just started running and you have a call to it. So do you want to share with us a little bit about that? Yes, I do. Um, I, yeah, recently I'd been getting, I'm trying to listen more to my intuition and I'd been hearing like a voice in my head, tell me to start running. It's so interesting. I've never been a runner and yeah, I just started, I downloaded a running app and it's helping because I can't believe how much my body hurts also from barely running, but I downloaded a running app and it's like, it started at 20 minutes and then it goes to 25 minutes. And I think I'm at 30 minutes now. So again, very new and it does it in I guess sprints, like I run a minute, I walk a minute and a half, run a minute, walk a minute and a half. Oh, my body hurts all over. Running is no joke. If you are a runner, please email us or slide into our DMs because I would love running tips. Truly, my whole TikTok is now like beginner running tips. But um, yeah, I just heard an intuitive call to do it. And as many of our listeners know, just from recent updates, I've been dealing with so much family stuff and it's true like that runner's high, even after just 20 minutes of a minute on, a minute and a half off, I feel so good after. It's it's kind of addicting and I have to tell myself to like not run every day right now because I don't want to burn myself out or injure myself. So that's that. But interesting when you talk about sports bras, because when I started spinning, doing spin classes in like 2013 or 20, yeah. So like 10 years ago, crazy. When my fitness journey started, I had, and I'm also a larger chested woman. All my sports, sports breasts sucked so bad. And I didn't realize it because I'd never really like exercised in that way before. And it like hurt. And, um, I had to quickly buy like heavy duty like sports bras. And so fortunately I have those now. And so running is actually pleasurable when you have the right equipment, literally. So just really interesting. And today it's a really interesting conversation with Christine. So we're going to get into it in one second, but before we do, we just want to remind everyone that this episode is sponsored by Milk and Honey. It's an amazing online boutique with hyper clean products, super goop, amazing sunscreens, the Milk and Honey brand, natural deodorants, um, including so many different bath, body, and skincare products. So check out Milk and Honey. Um, you can save 20% at their online boutique with code CW podcast and at all of their spa locations in Los Angeles, Texas, and Chicago with code CW podcast, 20% off online and in spa and all that's in our show notes, but let's get to the episode. Great. So today on the podcast, we welcome Christine Yu. Christine is an award-winning journalist whose work focuses on the intersection of sports science and women's fitness. In her, inter- in her interviews with elite athletes and experts in the field of sports science, she realized so much of what we take as gospel about exercise and sports is based solely on studies of men. From injury prevention protocol and nutrition guidelines to training programs and athletic gear design as we were just discussing. Any person who's used an exercise bike can attest. We deserve a system and culture of sports that helps all of us thrive, one that's based on science and tailored to our individual lived experiences. 
in May, she released her timely book, Up to Speed, which disentangles myth and gender bias from real science, making the case for new approaches that can help women athletes excel at every stage of life and athletic level. We have a really interesting conversation on women's health and sports science for women that we hope you enjoy. Before we get to today's episode, we want to tell you a little bit about the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. Erica and I are both certified integrative health coaches. I have advanced training in hormone health, and she has advanced training in gut health. And we offer health coaching and corporate coaching through the Courageous Wellness Collective. We continued our education and received certification through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. IIN has taken the lead in the health coaching industry from its inception and provides a comprehensive curriculum that combines nutrition, coaching, and business. We loved the program and have had many listeners ask us about continuing their education in nutrition, health coaching, or even just advancing their personal knowledge about food and nutrition. So we are very excited to be able to offer a discount to Courageous Wellness listeners to study at IIN. The program is completely accessible virtually with lectures led by health, wellness, and medical industry experts. To receive up to $2,500 off your tuition, you can use our names, Allie French or Erica Stein, at the time of enrollment to receive the tuition discount. We have also included a link in the show notes that will take you directly to IIN to learn more about their wonderful programs. So welcome, Christine. We are so excited to have this conversation with you today. So to get us started, can you share a little bit about your personal background and journey to the work that you do now? Sure. So um, I'm currently a journalist. Um, and so I cover sports and science. I had to think about that for a second. I was like, what am I? Um, I cover sports and science and health. Um, and this is hundred percent, not what I ever imagined doing with my life. Um, so when I was little growing up, I wanted to be a doctor and I always thought that that's what I was going to be. I was going to go to medical school. I was going to, you know, learn to treat patients and cure people of disease and all of this stuff. Um, but what I really realized was that it was just my fascination with the human body, right? Just kind of understanding how the body worked, um, what was going on, how it did all these amazing things. Um, and so while I didn't go to medical school, I found, you know, that that curiosity about curiosity about the body kind of persisted. Um, and I, you know, through a little bit of a, a roundabout way, um, I worked in the nonprofit sector for about 10 to 15 years before I actually came to journalism. Um, but yeah, discovered that, I really missed writing and telling stories. So kind of the way that I got from nonprofit to journalism was that I started a blog and this was back in like, I don't know, 2011 or so. It was like the height of all fitness bloggers, running bloggers and all of that. And so it was an incredible time, right? To, you know, just had my site on blogger and, you know, was just writing and sharing stories and really connecting with other people. And I realized that that's what I really loved and that's what I missed. So I, you know, kind of figured out, oh, wait, I could actually do this for a job, right? Like I could write about my interest in science and health and combine that with my interest in exercise and fitness and sports. And yeah, kind of found my way here. Thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm curious, can you share with us a little bit about your personal relationship to being an athlete, um, you said you started journal or your, your transition into journalism was through a running blog. And I'm just always fascinated. Like I'm not an athlete. <laughs> and, um, although very much understand and prioritize the value of movement in my life. Um, and so I'm curious though, from like, an athletic perspective, like how did your relationship with running or any of the other sports that you might enjoy doing, how did that develop and how do you cultivate that or where does that fit in also in, in your life now? Sure. Um, so I think describing myself as an athlete is probably, you know, pretty generous description. I mean, I will say that, you know, it's like, I grew up playing sports, like that's, you know, kind of what I did just as part of being in school, right? Like we had to play sports for, you know, 
for some reason, but it was also where my friends were, right? And kind of it was this opportunity to hang out with them. I would, wouldn't call myself, you know, I definitely wasn't one of the best athletes on the team, but I loved that feeling of being part of a team and kind of working together and, you know, all, you know, the kind of cliche lessons, right, about teamwork and leadership and all of the stuff that you learn from it. But, you know, while I say that, you know, I'm not someone who's out there like competing to try to get on a podium or something like that, I am a very driven individual, right? Like I'm pretty type A, I'm pretty like competitive with myself. And so it's more of that um, kind of interest and drive in terms of just making myself better, right? Like, could I perform better? Could I get stronger? Um, you know, could I do run a longer distance or something like that? Um, so for me, it's like sports and movement. It's more of, it's more about that process of it, of, you know, I love training more than I love competing in a race, right? Um, but it's that process of showing up for myself every day, um, kind of pushing myself a little bit more, learning about myself in that process. Um, and it has become just more of a grounding pro- a grounding practice than anything. Um, then I would say like, you know, I'm out there trying to break a personal bet ba- or like, you know, break my personal record or something like that. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And I think it your journey is really cool and interesting that it isn't linear, which I think is often the case with a lot of people who come on the podcast. Um, and I'm curious too about, as you mentioned, you were in the nonprofit space for about 10 to 15 years, and then you started this blog and became an award-winning journalist, which is so cool. Um, for anyone listening who might be thinking about that or in some sort of transitional phase of their life. What was that experience like for you? Like you said, you missed writing, you missed telling stories, but you were on one track, right? So what was kind of, I know you started the blog, but was there support from your friends and family? What was this experience like transitioning out of something that might've been quote unquote safe? Yeah. I mean, it absolutely was the safe path, right? Like I was kind of on this path to, you know, senior management and like, you know, kind of upper level positions. Um, But I found that I just didn't love it as much. Like the spark kind of fizzled out. It also happened to be around the time when I started a family as well. And so, you know, I had ended up taking a little bit of time off, um, but also knew it was like time for me to leave that specific job and position. And so I ended up taking more time off than I probably initially intended, which was really scary. Um, For me, you know, I had the support of my husband who had a more stable income. I mean, kind of more stable income. He works for, he has his own company, so it's not necessarily more stable, but, um, but, you know, it was, like we could get by on that and it was fine. And I could take the time to kind of figure some things out. And it was hard because my family definitely, I don't think they still under really understand what I do for work every day or what I do every day. Um, but really for me, I, I knew that there had to be something else, right? Like I couldn't kind of keep grinding myself into the ground in a job, in a position that I didn't love that, you know, at that time was also taking me away from my family. Right. Um, and yeah, it just, you know, like I said, I was lucky to have the support that I did have to be able to try different things and to kind of experiment a little bit, which is definitely not my personality. (laughs) Um, so it seems a little bit like kind of out of character, but I'm really glad that I did. Yeah. I love, I love hearing stories like that because I feel like that's oftentimes where we, um, like taking that kind of risk or, you know, or even just space to see what can come of something, even if it doesn't feel as, um, certain or secure or like that there's even as much sort of understanding of what it could, um, transform and become. Um, sometimes that's where like, I feel like the magic starts to happen. Absolutely. Um, So I'm curious, like you moved into this world of journalism, but you've always had this curiosity for the human body and uh, a drive as someone who also, you know, maybe not, is not a professional athlete, but as someone who has athletics as a part of their life or exercises as a part of their life. So where did you, where did 
Okay. So just for all of our audience, um, your book, your current book is called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. And I'm curious, where did this come from? Like, where did you get the spark and the idea and what drove your reason to write this? Yeah. So when I went into journalism, I always knew that I wanted to write on topics related to women, right? So women's health issues in particular, um, as well as reporting on women's sports, because I felt like, I mean, A, that's my own interest, but I also felt like those, those were important things to try to bring more coverage to. So in the process of you know, interviewing a lot of athletes and talking to a lot of experts in the field, it kind of kept cropping up this idea or, you know, this realization that we don't actually know that much about female physiology. It it would kind of be these like offhand kind of side comments that people would make, but I was like, well, actually, you know, it's like all all the studies are based on men. I'm like, what are you talking about? And so it was really confusing to me. Um, And I guess just my curiosity got the best of me because I really want to understand like, well, what do you, what do you mean? Right? Like, what do you mean that women are left out of these conversations that we don't study women? And if that's the case, what are the implications then for girls and women in sport? Right? Like it's, um, we're talking about sports science. So it's not the same level as say like research on cardiovascular disease, which, you know, has gotten a lot of coverage in terms of the disparities and research there. Um, but it still was like an important question for me to like, want to try to figure out. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. And we've, we've done episodes on what reminds me of this conversation a little bit is we've done a couple episodes on endometriosis, which is obviously a women's issue. And yes, like the lack of research, even the amount, um, we had two physicians on who even talked about the limitations with insurance, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's not, um, it's a women's issue just to be completely (laughs) like from my understanding or for what, from what I can gather as well. And, and from a lot of what they said. And so you mentioned, right. Like the implications of this lack of research. Can you maybe share with our audience, what are some of those implications of this lack of research for women athletes? Yeah. So, you know, right now, um, roughly 6% of sports science studies focus specifically on women. Um, and that's based on studies between, you know, 2014 and 2020. So it's not very long ago, which is kind of shocking, right? That we're in the single digits here. Um, And then when you look at the total number of participants, again, it's only about a third of participants in these studies that are women. Um, So what that means is that, you know, a lot of what we know and how we understand exercise and fitness and how the body adapts and trains and, you know, avoids injury or or recovers from injury, it's based on studies based on men. Um, And so, that really skews kind of our understanding of what's considered normal physiology, because people will then take those studies and then generalize those findings across all populations, right? They're not just saying, oh, this only applies to, you know, college age, you know, men, um, cyclists, because that's essentially like a large part of the study population, right? They don't say that that's only for them. It's, you know, it's assumed to be applicable to the the entire human population. And so what that means is like practically um, girls and women have access to, or yeah, access to less adequate or, you know, applicable guidelines for training, for nutrition, for injury prevention protocols. That might mean things like, you know, concussion symptoms might be different in women or men. So that might mean that, you know, women aren't being recognized as being concussed right? Um, on the sidelines versus men, because that's, again, where all the studies are. So, you know, some of those differences might go unnoticed. Um, it can even, you know, at, you know, I think on a more visceral level too, it means things like we didn't have a sports bra until, you know, about 50 years ago, um, which is kind of bananas. Um, but it, you know, but even though that that first sports bra was created in 1977, we haven't really studied breast biomechanics until like the 2000s. And so if you don't study that type of movement, you can't actually create a good sports bra, right? That's going to control for that movement, be comfortable. So that might explain some of the reasons why like sports bras are really terrible. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. It's interesting how, but like having this conversation with you and, and, you know, you writing a, a book about this, it's like all these little things that we might not think about 
Um, but impact uh, lives and in the context of sports uh, performance also as well. Like, um, I mean, everybody, I'm sure anybody who's ever, if you have female biology and you need to wear a sports bra, like, I'm sure we can all know that like more times than not, they're not great. And getting like getting the right sports bra. I just saw this commercial. I don't even know what the brand is, but it was like the observation of this new brand was that sports bras are supposed to hold your breasts in place so that you can, you know, do whatever physical movement you're doing with comfort. And, and she's like, well, all sports bras have elastic in the bands. And she's like, but we don't need the bands to move. So how come, how come, like sports bras haven't been developed with without elastic in the bands. And so I guess this company, again, I don't even remember what it is, but it's kind of part of what they're selling is that they have new technology where it doesn't have the give so that you're not having the bounce in the same way. And I was like, I've never even thought about that. Maybe that's why yeah. I hate hate buying sports bras or hate wearing sports bras or hate running, frankly, because I've always been larger chested. And I remember from the time I was 13 running the mile in gym, it was awful. It's awful, right? Yeah. Like it, it makes a difference. And especially for adolescent girls who sight yeah. like, it's like one in two sight breasts, like breast pain or embarrassment about the movement or, you know, something related to their breasts as a barrier to physical activity. And yeah. yet we don't consider it as like, a serious topic, right? Or a serious concern, because I think, you know, we just assume that breasts are these like appendages, you know, kind of like accessory appendages that don't matter. But, um, and because they are primarily, you know, it's on female bodies, right? Like they're not taken as seriously. And so we don't study it, but, you know, there are even things like, depending on the support of your sports bra, it can also alter your running gait too, Mm -hmm. so that, you know, it can make you less efficient when you run. So you might take smaller steps because you don't want to like have so much impact on the ground so that you bounce more, or you might like draw your arms in more closer to your chest to kind of try to minimize that side to side movement. Right. But all of those things, you're running really stiff. Mm -hmm. Um, you're, you're not like relaxed and like, you know, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing to be running efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how even the little, like what we deem to be little things actually can have massive impact. And, um, I'm curious, this seems to go kind of like in the obvious direction, but one thing, especially as women, and I think there's more and more research out about this. And, you know, Erica and I are certified in integrative nutrition in, um, I have some advanced coursework in hormone health. Mm -hmm. And this is coming out as far as women's cycles go, if you're in your reproductive years, um, that not all types of exercise, like, are optimal for all phases of the cycle. And so, and that's been life-changing, I think, for a lot of people because just from a mainstream perspective, where it's like, oh, I don't have to be doing hit all the time, you know, throughout my cycle where for so long, it's like, you know, you get, see all these headlines like, this is what, what gets results and this is what, you know, how you get muscle or this is how you, you know, whatever it might be that again is being sold as blanket statements for movement and exercise. And I know that I know people who have started cycle syncing their exercise and it's been like, even me, it's been life changing. And so I'm curious in the world of athletics, can you share with us a little bit of what you have found, um, as far as like research and dealing with different phases of the menstrual cycle, and then also just different like hormonal phases from, you know, pregnancy to menopause, you know, these are things that are part of women's biology over the course of many years. And yeah, what can you just speak to that a little bit? Sure. I mean, the thing that I think is super exciting about all of this is the fact that we are finally paying attention to our hormones and our menstrual cycles. And the fact that that really is, you know, encouraging women to pay attention to themselves, right? To know their bodies, to be empowered, to understand what their own lived experience is, you know, versus like what you said, that you're just 
kind of blindly following a plan or doing something because you think that you should be doing it or your coach tells you sh- you should be doing it, right? I think that there's something so powerful in that, you know, act alone of um, just listening to yourself and listening to your body. I think what's interesting about the research is that there is some emerging research. I mean, like you mentioned, um, that does show that different phases of the hormone might be um, have impact on certain training or performance outcomes. So there is some evidence that suggests that doing strength training in you know your follicular phase, so the first half of your menstrual cycle, kind of particularly you know right around ovulation that period, um, you might put on or gain muscle mass better, easier, right? Because of the way that your hormones are fluctuating. Um, and similarly, you know, there's, there's research that shows in the luteal phase, right? Your recovery might be a little bit dampened, right? It might be harder to recover from certain activities. And so you might have to pay attention to, um, you know, what you're doing after your sessions a little bit more, make sure you're hydrating, make sure you're resting and recovering. Um, I think, So it gets a little like nuanced in the sense that like on the whole, when you look across studies, what science, what the researchers will tell you is that there's no hard evidence at this point to say that, um, you should adapt your training to your menstrual cycle. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Like one is just because, um, a lot of these studies, they vary in quality in the way that they, their methodology. So it's hard to compare study to study, right? So then it's hard to then draw a general conclusion to that. Um, and I think also these studies tend to, sorry if this is getting too much in the weeds, but like these studies tend to, you know, report on like a group response across all participants. So you're talking about the average response. And so as an individual, your response may match that it may not. Right. So I think, you know, right now the science will say one thing and when the researchers will come out and say like one thing that, you know, you can't, you can't make a blueprint, right. That's going to work for everyone saying like on day six, you do hit on day 21, you do yoga or something like that. But what I think it does point to, and what they will say is that it, it is very important to pay attention to your own individual rhythms how you react to your hormones, how you feel, what your symptoms might be. Because when you start to notice those trends, then you can start to maybe do something about it. So if it's, you know, symptoms like you have more muscle soreness, say, or, you know, you're really tired, then you can do something about that, right? That might mean looking at your recovery routine or your nutrition or something. Um, if you feel particularly energetic at a specific part in the cycle, maybe that is when you do hit, right? <laughs> when you're doing something a little bit more energetic. But if you can start to pay attention to those rhythms and those trends in your own body, then yeah, you you might be able to make something of that, right? We are so excited to offer our listeners a new discount to one of the best probiotic supplements on the market, Seed. If you are a regular listener of the podcast, then you know that Allie and I are both very serious when it comes to the importance of gut health and building a thriving microbiome. I personally have been using Seed for close to a year now and have noticed a big difference in my digestion and bloating. I am devoted to taking seed every single morning before food, and I'm really excited to share their daily symbiotic with our audience. The formulation of the daily symbiotic combines a probiotic and prebiotic is vegan and gluten-free and includes 24 clinically studied naturally occurring strains, not found in yogurt or fermented foods and beverages, and lives up to the highest standards for human and planetary health. Yes. And in addition to being a really reliable probiotic and prebiotic supplement, Seed is committed to creating science-based education for all those that partner with them through accountable advertising at Seed University. This is where we are all committed to not spreading misinformation about health on the internet. Pretty important, right? Also, I personally love their commitment to sustainability with a refill system and all recyclable or biodegradable packaging materials. 
Erica and I only advertise products that we use and feel are of benefit to us and by extension could be of value to our community as well. If you would like to order Seed Daily Symbiotics to incorporate into your own gut health routine, go to seed.com and use the code COURAGEOUS15 at checkout for 15% off or click on the link in our show notes. We want to share how excited we are to offer our community 20% off their first order at Sakara with code XO Courageous. We have been big fans of the company for years, and the Sakara Life Organic Meal Delivery Program is based on a whole food, plant rich diet that includes fresh, nutrient dense, and delicious ingredients. It's perfect for those weeks you need a refresh or don't have time to meal prep. They also have a clean boutique, which offers delicious food forward bars, snacks, beauty water drops, and my personal favorite metabolism super powder, which works to fire up your metabolism, stabilize blood sugar, eliminate bloat and decrease puffiness. The naturally rich low sugar, dark chocolate flavor is perfect for smoothies or simply mixed with coffee and nut milk. I also regularly use the Sakara cookbook full of plant-rich recipes, which you can purchase on their website. Click the link in our show notes to visit sakara.com and use code XOCourageous for 20% off your first order. We know you will love it as much as we do. It's so interesting to hear you talk about this different research and just even thinking, you know... (laughs) back to even just the sports bra. Cause I think a lot of us now it's so, um, so a part of our lives, right. Even if we haven't found one, we love all of us grew up with the accessibility of a sports yeah. bra when you exercise. And if we're thinking that it was just the 1970s, right. So much changed in the 1970s. That wasn't so long ago. So it's like our mothers, our grandmothers didn't have access to this, you know? So it's just like, it's so mind blowing and, and, as you're talking about, like things are changing, but they haven't changed, right? It's, they haven't changed so much or so drastically. And a lot of women are still being impacted by the lack of research and studies. And so you, you kind of touched on it just now too, in one way about, right? Like our cycles and really getting to know your own body and being almost your own researcher of Mm -hmm. self, which we definitely believe in, but what are other ways that women, and, and women athletes can really advocate for themselves? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think that that's, that's really the key of it, right? Like um, just being able to kind of know and understand your own experience so that you can advocate for the things that you need or want, right? Um, whether that's in a specific coaching relationship, in a team environment from your doctor or whatnot, Um, because like you said, the systems right now have been, have been built by men for men, um, and have been built in a way that it's constantly like women are trying to like, you know, fit ourselves in like round peg square hole type of thing, right? Like where you're just, where you're trying to like shape shift and like make yourself fit in a specific, um, box or a specific profile, Um, and in doing so you're made to feel like there's something wrong with you, right. Versus this is my actual lived experience and my reality and it's normal. So I think in terms of like advocating, it is, um, you know, asking questions of your doctor, right. Like about, and, and bringing up issues that you might be experiencing. Um, so like, for example, in the pregnancy postpartum phase, there's, kind of this assumption that, you know, once you have a baby, you're, you're just going to be, you know, you're going to kind of pee yourself every once in a while, right? Like that's just part and parcel with the experience and it's going to happen, but it's not right. We kind of confuse, um, common with normal, um, because it's so common that we think it's normal. But so in, in that instance, if something like that is happening, it is bringing it up with your doctor and getting it checked out going to see like a public floor physical therapist who can help you treat and manage these conditions. They're not things that you just have to suck up and live with, right? Like there are things that we can do about it. Yeah. I think that's really sound advice. And as Erica said, 
what part of the reason we try to tell these stories and do these interviews on all different topics is so that people just feel empowered to advocate for themselves, whether it's in the doctor's office or, um, you know, uh, you know, in a, a sports team or whatever it might be with a physical therapist. Um, if you're in any situation where it's not just like, this is how it is, but if something doesn't feel right for you and your body to, to be able to trust that and, in its own innate intelligence, especially in a world that doesn't always support that. And I'm curious, I know that we're talking a lot about women's um, research or research about women in sports, but sports, this world of sports still very much lives in the binary. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm curious if you like throughout your research in the book, do you, um, can you talk a little bit about what you found as far as like the spectrum, because not everybody falls on the binary. And, um, I'm just, I I think in a world that historically, like people have so many, you know, strong, like, you know what I mean? Opinions about sports specifically. And there have been historically such, there is such a binary still with like men and women's sports. Um, yeah. What I'm just curious to hear your, understanding about the in-between at all. Absolutely. And I mean, it's particularly interesting because like you said, sports is very binary, right? It's like men's sports, women's sports. In a similar way, science is also very much predicated on the binary too, like male, female, because when you are doing these, this research, you need to be able to categorize the cell, the animal, the human or whatever into clear buckets, right? Um, So it doesn't leave a lot of room for the nuance. And I think um, what we are, a lot of scientists and researchers are really discovering and realizing and recognizing a lot more is that both sex and gender exist more on, on this spectrum, right? It isn't just one bucket here, another bucket over there, and there's no overlap, right? There's a lot more overlap, I think, between men and women than we might recognize, or, you know, we might have been told. Um, And I think like a good example of that is, you know, if you just think about, you know, as you know, your own response to hormones, right, as a woman. So if you and I say are the same age, um, we are on the same day of our menstrual cycle, we might have two completely different experiences of that right? Both in terms of maybe symptoms or energy levels or how those hormones and those ratios um, manifest in our bodies, right? Like I might have, you know, say a high estrogen to progesterone ratio versus, and you might have, you know, the opposite or something like that. But all of that is, you know, again, like that's on a spectrum and there's no way to define that as a, as a finite or, you know, single concrete thing. Um, And so if you kind of just pull back and think about, you know, across men and women, that's going to, that's going to exist. Right. And that's kind of, frankly, I mean, from my perspective, at least like part of the beauty of humans too, is, is all this diversity. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, Allie and I are even on the same cycle and we have totally different symptoms. I mean, like, right, like completely. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's just a really great point. And I think you make so many great points and great ways to think about all of this. And, and I'm curious too, I mean, I think it almost just to go even back to the beginning when we spoke and, and I know, you know, everyone should pick up your book because you really, you know, go in, to detail on all of this that we're touching on in this episode. But is there, has there ever been a time when, you know, you have personally seen in your own life kind of the limitations of the, the industry and the research as well, like through your own experience as, you know, as I know you're not like a professional athlete, but even just as like a woman who moves her body. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I talk about this a bit in um, the introduction, but um, I tend to be a little bit injury prone. (laughs) So, you know, I've had definitely had my fair share of injuries and um, including, you know, I've torn my ACL twice in my right knee and then I just tore it 
in my left knee, you know, earlier this winter. So, you know, it's like three times, that's a lot. Um, but I had always heard, right. You know, like these statistics about how girls and women are more prone to ACL injuries. Um, and so the first time that I tore it, tore my ACL, you know, I was in college, I was skiing, um, and it was kind of just like a bad fall and it, the, you know, it just happened, right. Like it's kind of bad luck, whatever. Um, the second time that I tore it was probably about 15 years later and I was running on a track. I was doing some speed work on the track. Um, and kind of during my last interval, um, I just felt something pop and go in my knee and like immediately knew something was wrong. I couldn't put any weight on it. Um, and kind of like hobbled to a stop, but like, Hey, who tears their ACL running like on a track? Like that's a ridiculous. Um, but B it, it made me, you know, feel even more that there was something wrong with my body that I couldn't, that it wasn't made to do sports. It wasn't made to run. It, you know, I shouldn't be doing these things. Um, and I think that that's kind of just indicative of how we think about injury and women's bodies in general, because when we think about injury, we often look at, you know, it's like, okay, what are the factors that are going to make someone you know, more prone to injury. So you look at like biomechanics, you might look at ligaments or, you know, anatomy and that type of stuff, um, which are uh, what they call non-modifiable, right? Like the things you can't change. And then they'll look at things that you can change. But what they're comparing that against oftentimes is men and the male body, because men tend to, in, say in the case of the knee injuries, men don't get ACL injuries as much as women, right? So what is it about women's bodies that are different from men? And, you know, which you can take as like, what is it about women's body that is deficient or defective, right? Compared to men that makes you more prone to injury. So that like, that's always been kind of the narrative that's been in my head. When I think about injury, when I think about my own injuries, it's what's wrong with my own body. Um, Whereas maybe there's not something wrong with what, or I mean, maybe there is, but maybe there's other factors too that go into this. Right. That it's not, it, it's like, it's such a subtle thing, but that, you know, hearing that narrative, it's not something like if we're internalizing that, that is not something to like carry with us, that there's something inherently weaker or, um, like even just more injury prone in this example, just because you're in a, a female body. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And well, I was just going to say, and when you carry nar narratives like that, right, like yeah. it can create, you know, what's called a negative stereotype and that can, right. you know, create this like self-perpetuating cycle where exactly. like, if that's what you think, that's going <laughs> to, that's going to be what ends up happens. Yeah. 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 That's really fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing all this today. And um, yeah, everybody go check out up to speed. And before we, um, you know, before we wrap up, we always ask three wrap up questions. So I'm really curious to hear your answers. The first one is, um, on a daily basis now, what does your self-care look like? And do you have any non-negotiables in your day? Um, so usually I will, start off by reading. So when I'm eating breakfast or having my coffee, um, reading a book, generally fiction, because that's kind of my downtime. Um, but I find that that's, that's just a nice way to start the day, right? Without like kind of rushing to emails. Although I will like, I am guilty of like checking my emails first thing in the morning. Um, but that's a, that's a big part of my day. Um, non-negotiable for sure is some type of movement. Um, Right. I mean, since right now I'm injured, I'm not doing like anything super intense, but so it'll often be like a walk or, you know, maybe I'll go down and ride the stationary bike for a little bit, but just something to kind of move my body and to get the blood flowing. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. The next question we always ask is what does being courageous mean to you? That's a great question. Um, it's really it is really trying to tap into my core wants and needs. And that's something that I haven't always been good at, right? Like I'm very much a 
people pleaser by trade and by nature. Um, but really trying to before, you know, saying yes, of course, um, pausing and really trying to understand like, is this something that's going to serve me? Is this something that's not going to serve me? And then how do I, how do I reconcile that? Yeah. Thank you. And then the final one is, and I'm actually really curious to hear your answer. Um, do you have a book recommendation on anything? It can also be fictional um, that you could just share with our audience, just something that's meant something to you personally along the way. That's like choosing my favorite child, child. or something. <laughs> like, that's a terrible question. Um, let's see. I will say that so the book that I'm currently reading, it's called Money, Power, Respect. It comes out end of June, I think. Okay. Um, the author is Michaela McKenzie. Um, and she used to be an editor at Glamour and she writes about um kind of the fight for equity and equality in sports, women's sports, and how that's almost like a microcosm for the fight for for gender equity mm. writ large, you know, for women, um, and how we can use sports as this almost like a laboratory, right? For like cultural change. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I think that's like a super relevant one. And we won't hold you to it as your favorite <laughs> child for all of time. Um, if anyone wants to buy your book, find you, follow you, where can they do that? Yeah. So my book is available wherever books are sold. Um, you know, it's a, it's a hardcover as an ebook, as an audiobook. Um, and then on social media, I am CYU888 at Instagram and on Twitter. Awesome. I was like, what's that other one? <laughs> that other one. Thank you, Christine. It's been a pleasure chatting with you today. No, it's been super fun talking to you too. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Courageous Wellness. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode featuring a different guest each week. Subscribe, rate, and write us a nice review. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Courageous Wellness or get in touch via our website, www.courageouswellness.net, where you can also find additional info about our health coaching services, virtual group events, newsletter, and more. Until next week, I'm Allie. And I'm Erica, and we're Courageous Wellness.